It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Sandra Smith, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, May 9th, 2022. I'm Evan Brown. On this day in 1945, Nazi Germany officially surrendered to the Soviet Union, which pushed them out of places like Poland and Ukraine. And on this day this year, Vladimir Putin still wants his people to believe Ukraine is still overrun by Nazis. A fiction, but with an historical nugget. Some Ukrainians sided with the Nazis against the Soviets because they believed that Stalin and the Soviets were worse for Ukraine than the Nazis. That's true. That's fact. And that's what Putin is pushing on. This is the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. If you grew up in Europe or the United States, your school teachers told you the Nazis were stopped by the Allies, that it was the United States that restocked, resupplied, and rearmed European militaries, and that the legendary figures like Patton and Montgomery defeated the Nazis. But if you were educated in Russia, you might have been taught the Nazis fell to the Soviet army. Now, both of these histories are true. It was the Soviets who liberated Eastern Europe from Nazi rule, only to enslave them to Soviet communism after. And this history plays right into why Vladimir Putin is engaged in a brutal but apparently senseless war, attempting in his mind to rid Ukraine of Nazis yet again. He reiterated that during a speech today, May 9th, when Russia still commemorates the Soviets defeating Hitler's war machine. You listen to Putin's speech today. Uh, he talked a lot about power, how uh, Russia was a strong country, a powerful country, even a big country. He was emphasizing this over and over again. Matthew Schmidt is a political science and national security professor at the University of New Haven. And this is linked to the victory of the Soviet Union over Nazi Germany in World War II. He also talked a lot about how the West had stolen the story of that victory, that it was the Soviet Union who really won the war and not the West. And there's some truth to that. Um, But what you see here is a weak leader. What you see here is someone who is talking about past glory that isn't in the present. And if you go back to, I think, the single most important sentence that Vladimir Putin has ever said um, is that he sees the largest catastrophe of the 20th century as the collapse of the Soviet Union. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that. They think what he's saying is, is he wants to revive the Soviet Union. But he doesn't. He doesn't want to bring all the former countries of the Soviet Union back under one formal political leadership. He's not a communist. He's an arch capitalist or an oligarchist. So that's incorrect. But what he wants is to bring Russia back to that point of world historical power in 1945, on May 9th, when it was the Soviet Union and Russia really as the Soviet Union that determined the course of human history by defeating the Nazis. 
And what he's trying to do today is reconnect with that past to say what's going on in Ukraine is a continuation of that moment when the Nazis were defeated. Um, and it was Russia that led that defeat. It's pretty preposterous, I think, to uh, to continue this narrative that Ukraine is a Nazi state. Um, certainly, uh, we, we've heard about Nazi groups within Ukraine uh, that uh, may or may not have politi- you know, some kind of political sway or they may have uh, military might. But Ukraine, by and large, is not a not a Nazi state. Uh, it's uh, famously it's it's president who has certainly become a, become known throughout the world. Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, has uh, uh, Jewish heritage and 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 the like, uh, so this so it's it's a bit peculiar that that uh, Vladimir Putin would insist uh, that uh, that Ukraine is infested by Nazis and that the uh, uh, the Russian military is determined to to rout Nazism from its its neighbor Ukraine and and liberate it somehow. Do the Russian people believe this stuff? I mean, it, how do we? I guess there's no good way to really gauge. What the Russian population is thinking, um, you know, I don't I don't suspect that we do a lot of opinion polling in Russia. But uh, how how do do they fall for this or is this is this the only thing they know of what's going on in Ukraine? Let me set that aside for a moment. Sure. And let's stipulate that indeed Ukraine is not uh, full of Nazis. But let's look for, for your listeners about how Putin is able to construct that story for his people. You have to go back again to World War II. Always go back there. Always go back to that touchstone because that's what he's doing. So how does he understand it? Well, there's a certain amount of truth, right? All propaganda, especially good propaganda, has some kernel of truth to it. And that kernel of truth goes back to World War II. Stalin killed over 3 million Ukrainians with a constructed famine in the 1930s. So when war came in the 1940s and the Nazis swept over Ukraine and then the Soviets eventually started to push back and sweep over Ukraine again to the West, some Ukrainians sided with the Nazis against the Soviets because they believed that Stalin and the Soviets were worse for Ukraine than the Nazis. That's true. That's fact. And that's what Putin is pushing on. When you get to 2014 and the revolution of dignity, the Maidan revolution, as we tend to know it in the West, you had neo-Nazis from the West of Ukraine as some of the first that grabbed their guns, if you will, in the American parlance, right? These were boys, right? They jumped in their pickup trucks, they broke into armories, they grabbed their guns, and they raced east to kill Russians, Some of these were neo-Nazi groups, and some of the best fighters were neo-Nazi groups. And if you look at the Azov Battalion, which is still holding out in Mariupol, right, that is the battalion that was associated with the neo-Nazi groups. Now, they were eventually, right, integrated into the larger professionalized Ukrainian military, but they were allowed to keep the name, right? They were sort of allowed to keep their colors. Um, And... That's what he's referring to. And again, there's a kernel of truth there. And so he can build that up over and over again with his propaganda machine because he can he can 
overemphasize it, right? He can push it to the extreme where you go from a few people who have neo-Nazi tendencies, right, who do uh, reach back and 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 link themselves to the Nazis of the nineteen of uh, late nineteen forties in Ukraine, right? Claim that kind of uh, historical connection, and he blows this thing up and he says all of Ukraine is full of Nazis. Now to the question, right? Yeah. Do the Russian people believe this? It's complicated, right? What do they believe about the war? Is there is the real question here? When you look at the younger cohort the military age cohort, 18 to 24, what you see in polling data before the war and what you sort of get anecdote from uh, even now is that a large plurality, even as high as 40, possibly even 50% of that group are against the war. Why? Because they get their news from social media. And in Russia, that means the, the social media um, chat group, the, the encrypted um, service known as Telegram, right? Especially Telegram, also Signal, um, and so they are getting information about the reality of the war that other generations aren't. If you go up and you look at that next group of, of, uh, of Russians in age and the one after them, these are sort of the young parents and the older parents of those boys who were fighting. They are against the war, you know, say at 30 percent. Again, if you look at that polling, all of these numbers, again, to the listeners are 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 really, really loose. But I think that there's enough truth there to talk about them this way. Um, when you get above that, when you start looking at 55 and older, you're looking at a group that uh, get their news from TV and radio. And now it's all state run. There's no independent mass media. So those military age kids who are active on uh, social media and their parents who, right, as all parents know, have some access to the social media because they see it with their kids, right? Right, are more against the war than the older group. So the older group, right, they don't see the reality. The younger populations, the majority don't see the reality, but important parts do see the reality. And that's starting to leak in more and more, right? Remember, you had 15,000 protesters out on the streets in the first week or so of the war, most of whom were arrested. But what you see now is those protests have more or less effectively been crushed and you don't see them out there right now. You see these important right, incidents of the uh, of uh, the journalist right on TV who's who's holding up this sign, right, saying no, no war. Um, and that's getting across to some of this older generation. But we really don't have an idea um, in, a, in a sort of a social science sense, what the population believes. But my, my gut tells me on the basis of this anecdote and on what social science data we have, that there's a large plurality, right? Less than, less than 50%, but a large plurality of the population that has some idea of what's going on and that that's incrementally getting larger and larger because you just can't keep the information out. You've been hearing Professor Matthew Schmidt from the University of New Haven. He is a political science and national security expert on the Fox News rundown, War on Ukraine. We will have more straight ahead. Vladimir Putin, according to, I guess, the data that's out there, is approaching uh, later this year his 70th birthday. We, uh, he was uh, rumored to have undergone some kind of surgery in the past couple of weeks. Is is it fair to say, is it an easy assessment to make that Putin is wondering about his legacy at this point? He has been the, the Russian strongman leader for so long, but at some point he has to stop 
being the man in charge. Either uh, he will become too old to do this, he might die. Uh, if it, if the rumors about illness are true, that might come sooner rather than later. Uh, he, he's got to be wondering how he's leaving the, the Russian state as, as opposed to how he found it when he came to power. Uh, is, is this all of, is this what this is really all about? Is it easy? I know that's an easy generalization to make, but you're the expert here. So go ahead and tell me what you think. I don't think it's, I don't think it's all about Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin thinks of himself as representing uh, the Russian people, not just presently, but historically. He represents all Russians in the past. And critically here, he's representing what he sees is the Russia of the future and the Russians in the future 100 years from now. What he's building is something that he has called at times uh, Eurasia. And this idea is that Russia and the other states in this in Central Asia, right, ex- excluding most of Eastern Europe, um, represent a different kind of culture. And again, he talks about this over and over again in his speech today, different set of values, right? Anti-democratic, anti-liberal, right? Anti-LGBTQ, um, right? And, and so in this case, what he's preserving with this war is what he sees as an encroachment, right? Even a war by the West on Eurasian values. And it is Russia's job to defend those values, right, across this vast swath um, of land. And it is, it is going back again to this idea that it was the loss of power uh, when Russia collapsed, when the Soviet Union collapsed, that is this catastrophe. And what he's trying to do is return it. I mean, he's trying to, you know, make Russia great again. And that's what drives him. And that is his legacy as a kind of new czar. But He's not saying it's about him, right? He's saying it's about Russia and it's about Russia's capacity to stand as this, this new voice, not a new voice, but to stand as this different voice from the voice of the West and the voice of the East, of Asia, right? Eurasia is neither European nor is it Asian. It takes bits and pieces from both of these and then builds it into something that is entirely historically unique. And Putin's legacy is to keep that from being killed off. By the West. With that, I guess we, the, the good question to finish up here would be, um, and I ask this of so many people, and it's I think it's okay for this answer to keep changing over time. But what is what is his end game? How does this finish up? Because at some point, you know, he's he's conducted this war now. I think it's been really we're going on three months, uh, and he doesn't have much to show for it. Uh, he has not taken control of the city. He is not one people to his cause. Uh, he has barely taken over a, a, a secondary port city, Mariupol, uh, and even that's in, in dispute, and it's, it didn't come without great cost to him. So what is what is the end game? How does he say, okay, we've done enough to make our point here? Well, with the caveat, uh, like you said, that uh, you know, prognostication is a fool's errand. Right. Um, let, let me be a fool. I think he, if you listen to the speech again today, is backing off and he has emphasized in the speech the, the the place and the primacy of the Donbass. And I think if you look at a map, what he's trying to do is slice off the Donbass, the greater region there, not just the, the two occupied territories, but the, the larger area and sort of slice that off and then down around the south, slice it to the west Right, taking in Mariupol and, and the cities along the coast, 
all the way to Crimea and essentially um, make Ukraine that much smaller and say what he's done there is created what he's in the past called New Russia and, uh, you know, and and thus defended, uh, you know, main Russia, right, defended Moscow from the Nazis, which he sees as the Ukrainians to the West that have, as he sees, it started the war in the Donbass. And if he wins there and he expels the Nazis, the so-called Nazis there, then he's won and he has taken land and population that are rightfully uh, right his, rightfully Russia. I think it looks like if you listen to the speech, if you listen to the language that he's been using, and of course you look at the battlefield reality, what he's not able to do, um, that's where we're heading right now. But of course it's war and these things can take rapid turns. Dr. Matthew Schmidt, National Security Political Science Professor at the University of New Haven. Thank you so much again for joining us on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.